Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Two Notes Audio Engineering. Two Notes is a leader in the market for loadbox, cabinet, and mic simulators. Gone are the days of having ISO rooms or having to record an amp at ear-bleeding volumes to capture that magic tone. The Torpedo Live, Reload, and Studio allow you to crank your amp up as loud as you want, but record silently. Check out www.2-notes.com for more info. And now your host, Joel Wanasek. Hey, 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 how's everybody doing? This is your host, Joel Wanasek, and we are back with another episode of Dear Joel here on the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And wow, is it great to be back. I've been on a mini hiatus here on the podcast. I've been so busy doing some really exciting and awesome projects that I'm going to tell you guys about here in a little bit that I quite haven't had time to do things like get on the mic and have fun and hang out with AL and Joey as much as I'd like to. So that being said... If you got questions, you can always submit them to joel at urm.academy. As this is a Jira Joel episode, I will be answering your questions and throwing in a little bit of my own nonsense rants, sense of humor, and having a little bit of fun hanging out with you guys and just talking the talk and uh, chatting stuff. So if you want to submit questions, it's joel at urm.academy one more time with the subject line, Dear Joel, and you ask it and I will answer your question. So in the meantime, I've got a couple of things here that I want to lead off, so excuse my need to do some preamble, but I always like doing this stuff and just ranting about certain topics and things like that, and uh, you guys seem to be giving good feedback. So if you hate it, let me know. If you love it, let me know, and we'll keep doing it. So anyways, I've got three things I want to cover and I want to talk about. The first thing is I think it's really important to have a good sense of humor when you're doing this for a living. So if you're a producer or a tracking engineer or if you are working with physical clients in a recording studio session and setting, you need to be a really, really entertaining and dynamic person. And, you know, being audio guys, like a lot of us, that does not come natural for. And I'll tell you guys, like, if I can do it, you can do it because I used to be the most socially awkward person, still am to some degree, but the most introverted, socially awkward, weird, doesn't like to talk to people, just kind of sat, maybe said like 10 total words out loud in high school kind of person, you know, just really a hermit. So for me, talking to people, being entertaining, having lots of energy and charisma and things like that was not something that came naturally to me. It was something that I really, really struggled with a lot. And I'll tell you, um, like anything in life, you need to sit down and make a conscious effort to get good at it and break out of your shell and your mold and push your limits of what you think is possible. Because most of the time, the only thing really holding us back is fear. We're afraid of whatever, you know, maybe we'll be judged or we'll say something stupid or we'll embarrass ourselves or we'll make a fool out of ourselves. Well, I got to tell you, it doesn't matter. Seriously, it doesn't matter. You know, in, in a way, in this day and age, you got to be able to say some things that are going to piss some people off and be controversial, as well as, you know, do some things that you, you, you're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to say dumb things. You're going to regret it. And I'll tell you, it's okay because this is how we learn. This is how we grow. So don't be afraid of that stuff, is what I'm saying. You know, if you're really socially awkward or you have a lot of social anxiety around people and you kind of just like hermiting out in the studio and sitting there by yourself and working on music and not interacting with people, it's all right. I've been there. I understand. I empathize. I'm with you. I understand your plight. I've been there and gotten over it myself. You know, for me, it was really just an issue of kind of like one day sitting there at rock bottom after some situations that happened in my life. And I was sitting there thinking, kind of internally blaming myself. And then I realized, I'm like, hey, you know what? 
instead of blaming everything else and the world, I'm done blaming. I'm just going to take accountability and accept who I am, and I'm going to do something about it because I can't change me or the cards I was given or the personality or you know any of that stuff. But what I can change is the way I feel about it. I can change the way I think about it, and more importantly, other than my attitude, I can change what I do about it. So, boom, went out, broke out of my shell, and one thing I really tried to do was develop somewhat of a sense of humor so I could have a good time with people, learn some jokes, things like that. So it's really important if you're a producer sitting in a session to get a good repertoire of jokes and just some on-call stuff that you know is going to make people laugh that you can gauge. So you're going to be sitting there with a group of people probably for a long time, let's say 12, 16, etc. hours every single day for at least a couple of days. And if you're doing an album, it could be months. If you're going to spend that much time with a group of people, you better learn how to entertain and be funny and lead a conversation and ask good questions and find out what gets people fired up and excited and things like that. It's so important. And I think having a sense of humor is also really important in terms of client acquisition, meaning keeping your clients, not only gaining them because you're fun to hang out with, but then keeping them and retaining them for future sessions and making them want to come back because they enjoy working with you. So if you have a really good sense of humor and you're a lot of fun to work with and you have some really good jokes and you know you spend a little bit of time researching and just kind of memorizing a few things and putting a couple in your back pocket and you know when to pull out and you've got a good, you know, you can develop a good witty sense of humor where people can say stuff and you can, you know, talk a little smack and throw some retorts in there and uh, you know, you can have a good banter and a lot of fun. And you know, people respond well to that for the most part in the studio, especially when you're sitting there and it's really intense and everybody's super focused. I feel like a good amount of humor always takes the edge off. So nothing ever diffuses, and always remember this, never diffuses a really intense strong, argumented, spirited part like, dude, that guitar riff sucks. No way, man. I've been working on this riff for two years. This is like my favorite riff I've ever written. Nah, man. It can't be in this song. And you come in as the producer and you're like, all right, you're both idiots. Cut this part out. Move this here, blah, blah, blah. And the whole band's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, shut up and just try it. You know, so you go through and everybody's all fired up and you're fighting over some stupid guitar part or whatever in some song. And everybody's like all intense and all mad and flustered. And, you know, then you just crack some total ridiculous joke completely out of left field. And everybody just goes, whoa. And then they lose it and the mood is lightened and everybody's having a great time and a lot of fun and they're laughing about it. And then, you know, you You've totally changed the intensity and the dynamic and the spirit of the debate in the room. So, you know, I'm just saying it's worth it to learn how to be funny, to practice it, to learn some good jokes, to develop a sense of humor, a set of a sense of wittiness, and you know, just learn how to talk to people and you know, practice it. So it doesn't come natural to all of us. For me, it's something I've always had to work on. I'm constantly trying to improve at, and I still feel like I suck at it. But hey, like I said. You can do it because if I can do it, you can do it. So for you guys out there who are socially awkward and you know you really struggle with getting out there and you know you got to learn to step outside of your personality and your natural inclinations and to challenge yourself and to push yourself to that new level of performance and just you know do what makes you uncomfortable and after you make yourself uncomfortable enough you get very comfortable with it and if you're pushing yourself outside of your levels of comfort that my friends is when you are succeeding. So that being said, have a sense of humor. I want to move on to two things. So I've had a really busy two and a half months. I've been working 16 hour days, you know, get in at like seven in the morning, give or take, 
work till midnight, you know, with like a couple hours in between on and off to go to like family stuff and help out. And it's just been brutal, you know, because I'm getting up at 530 in the morning. I'm working till 12, one in the morning. And it's just, you know, you do that for a couple of days. You kind of take a day where you come home and you go to bed earlier, like nine or 10 o'clock and then boom, repeat, 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 repeat. After like a month or two months of doing that and maintaining that kind of work schedule and you guys that grind it out, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get tired. And and that point, it's just sheer willpower. So that's kind of how I feel right now because I'm going on a nice long six week vacation coming up here. I'm going to go to the Black Sea in Russia and spend some time not doing this or anything else involving work, turning off my phone, and I'm just going to chill out and relax and enjoy life a little bit and hang out and then come back and go super hardcore again. So every time I do this, and this is probably like the fifth or sixth time I've taken a really long extended vacation like this, what ends up happening is the amount of work that needs to get done somehow magically all lines up at the same time, no matter how hard you try to plan. I mean, I tell everybody, I'm like, hey guys, six months from now, I'm going on vacation. Nine months from now, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to be gone from this to this date. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it gets down to like the last month and everybody's freaking out because, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff happens at the same time. For example, this month I have arguably the two biggest product launches ever that I've ever done all at the same time, which is absolutely crazy. And I don't even know how it worked out that way, but somehow it did. We are doing a course here at Unstoppable Recording Machine, our first real full-length complete total package course, not just like a fast track or anything like that for enhance, but like a next, the next level, like an entire system here, which I'll talk about in a second, what it is and why you should care. And we just released a sampler over at Drumforge. So before you had to use contact to use our Drumforge one library and we turned it into its own standalone plugin. And we have the fastest coolest, most streamlined sampler out there right now. It's crazy. Like I can click one button and in a second on my computer, it literally loads up the whole bloody thing and that's it. You know, it's like the whole drum kit comes up and it's really sick. So I'm really, really proud of that. You know, it took us two and a half years and an untold amount of resources and money to build this thing, but it's exceeding our expectations and people are really excited about it. And I think we've got something really cool. More importantly though, is that it's your sampler. And we're, I feel like the first company that's doing it this way, meaning we're taking your guys' feedback, your improvements, and we're adding in features and things like that. So we're going to be putting out an update here in like the next week or two with a bunch of user added features. And we've got all these ones slotted out and planned. So it's really exciting. Like we're taking feedback from our community and you know, you guys, the users, and we are taking it, we are implementing it, we are improving it, and it's going to be like a living, growing thing. So people are that have it are going to get free updates, and they're just going to be continually supported. So if you're looking for a drum sampler, or you want to get rid of your old stale stock sounds that you've been using for years, and upgrade to something modern and fresh that's faster, that's got a more intuitive UI, that's you know just all around next generation, check out the new sampler over at DrumForge.com. Would be greatly appreciated. We put a ton of blood sweat and tears um, and a level that I feel like most people will never truly understand because they weren't there. So check it out. Appreciate it. Thank you. So something very interesting I want to tell you guys about. I want to tell you kind of like a story here. So something's happening in the music industry right now. And 
this is the cutting edge here at Unstoppable Recording Machine. And that may sound like a bold statement, but what I'm about to tell you is something you probably have never heard or you may not even know about. But when I tell you it, you're going to kind of have the light bulb go on in your head because a lot of you guys are experiencing it. And if you're not experiencing it, you're going to be experiencing this in like the next year or two because this is what's about to happen and be a very, very big thing. So for many years, a lot of people on the top levels and even going down would spend quite a long time mixing a record. So, you know, two months or sorry, not two months, like a month, three weeks, etc. I mean, for example, AL was telling me at Audio Hammer when they would get in a record and they didn't get a month or th- at least three weeks to mix, they'd be really stressed out and frustrated. Like, what's going on? Why does the band want to mix a whole record in two weeks? Now, on the other side of that equation, there are guys like me out there and there aren't many of us, but this is changing. I'll go in and I can mix a whole record in a couple hours. You know, I think like three and a half hours is my whole uh, world record, (laughs) self-world record (laughs) for mixing an entire album, uh, 10 songs, 50 minutes of music uh, in a single sitting. And then I mixed four more singles that day. So think about that for a second. You know, a lot of big records that we did, for example, I feel like Joey and I did Attila in about two days flat, including revisions and everything like that. So Think about that for a second. A lot of records that are I've been doing and have been involved with get mixed in one to three days, uh, and I usually don't spend more than 45 minutes at maximum on a song mixing unless it's something really custom and I'm really overthinking it. So my entire life, I've built this system, right? of being able to mix over 500 songs a year and just absolutely take my time and scale it to a level that I feel like is absolutely insane. Like I've optimized every single second and possible thing that can be optimized uh, down to a science. And this has been my modus operandi for quite a few times. I've had many, many years where I've mixed over 500 songs. And it's been really, really exciting for us because we've really been able to just shock and out so many bands and put out so many releases. And it's crazy to me when I talk to my friends and they're like, yeah, I spend about two or three days mixing a song. I'm like, two or three days mixing a song? I'm like, dude, I mix like a whole record in that time. And I'm not, I don't feel like I'm sacrificing quality or not doing some of the best work in my life. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Up until recently. Now, this is what's changing, and this is why this is the cutting edge. And like I said, a lot of people don't even know that this is happening, but this is just an observation. So we've got this thing called Nail the Mix, right? And we've got all these really awesome producers, and now I'm friends with all these cool producers and people, and we know all this stuff. And we talk to each other, and we nerd out and just you know chat amongst ourselves. And we've noticed a trend that's starting to emerge here in the last couple of months from talking to a lot of different pe- things, or sorry, different producers and mixers and et cetera. And that trend is that people are forced to mix at the top levels much faster than ever before. So the amount of time you get to turn in a record is gone way down. They want the same quality results and you know, you're getting paid less money. So you know, you're sitting there as a mixer and you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna make it up on volume. So if I can get a little bit less per track, but I can mix five more songs in a day, I mean, holy cows, you know what I mean? Like that adds up to huge, huge, huge dollars at the end of the day. So um, this is kind of becoming the norm now. Now, what's cool is I feel like we just had that nail the mix with Billy Decker, who is amazing and one of our good friends. And Billy was cool. I feel like he blew a lot of people's minds because he showed them his template system and how he just knocked out a bunch of songs and nailed the mix. And it really blew a lot of people's minds. They were like, holy crap. Um, Templates, I just want to say, are a small part of what makes you able to mix 
the insane amount of songs a guy like me or Billy or Chris Lord Alger, like guys that do really high volume mixing do. Okay. There's, like I said, there's not many of us, but this is changing very fast. Like I said, this is the cutting edge. Literally, I probably am the first person that has ever told you this. And right here at Unstoppable Recording Machine, you are getting that information and you're not getting it from anywhere else because no one, this, no one says this had even crossed anybody's mind yet, but this is what is happening right now. And the writing is on the wall. And if you're paying attention and you're listening like we are and you're observing, astutely you're seeing this happen i mean and it's not just mixing it's all the way down to things like editing i mean i remember when a lot of people online would talk about spending two or three hours to you know trigger up drums and now it's like people get pissed if it takes more than 20 to 30 minutes to trigger up a song so think about that for a second you know a lot of trends are changing here and we are working faster than ever and now the question is for you how are you going to not get left behind how are you going to adapt how are you going to keep up? How are you going to take a system regardless of the amount of work you had? Doesn't matter if you have five clients or 500 clients, that's irrelevant. How are you going to take and build a system of optimization that's going to allow you to take any crazy amount of workload, any crazy amount of you know stress or client problems and mixed notes and crazy situations you can the craziest things you can ever think of you know last minute deadlines and changes how are you going to create a system that allows you to plow through anything that's thrown at you and spit it out like it's not even a problem and just absolutely crush day after day after day after day like an efficient machine and kill the game that's the real question and that my friends is what we've been working on here at unstoppable recording machine for so long and so hard is we have a course called speed mixing which is how to mix over 500 songs a year and it's so much it's an entire freaking system right like it's like uh for those of you who have ever played like a Dungeons and Dragons board game, allow me to be a total nerd here. You know, like you open it up or like any board game, you you know, you get like the instruction manual and uh, you get like all the supplements and the cards that come with it. And it's like an entire system. You know, you got like the little plastic miniatures and the die and the rules and the rule cards and the hero cards and the gold pieces and the damage tokens. This is kind of like that. So we've sat down and we've built a totally full and comprehensive course that's an entire system that's going to make you guys and uh, absolute monsters in the studio. It's going to give you such an advantage. And like I said, you are going to be on the cutting edge while everybody else is following or following behind, wondering what the hell is happening, why they're getting left behind. You are not because you are here, you are on the edge, and you are going to have access to this information. And this information is an entire culmination of my life's work, meaning I have spent my entire freaking adult life, I've given up my 20s and half of my damn 30s building this system. And and refining it to the point where we could just dominate on such a high level and do it consistently every day, all day, no matter what anybody threw at us. And it's been refined and refined and refined. And now that we're sitting here on the education side a little bit, I'm just like, well, you know, I know how to do this. Maybe we should share it with the world because it's kind of like, it helps me right now and it helps my assistant, Joe. And, you know, it's great for us, but why not share it with people? Why not give people the same tools? Because like I said, it doesn't matter if you have five clients or a hundred million clients, right? That's a lot of clients. <laughs> Can anybody mix a hundred million songs? That'll be the next challenge. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, what matters is that are you able to build a system that allows you to succeed and do things faster and more effective and efficiently than you've ever done before. And as a result, you'll be able to A, make more money, or if you were trying to get better at your, if that 
point in your career. It'll be allow you to train harder and get better much faster. Um, so you'll be able to make more money. You'll be able to train harder and get better much faster than a lot of people. And you'll have a lot more free time to actually go and have a life. So not everybody wants to work crazy hours. You know, some people are um, not crazy, mentally messed up people that are just overly ambitious and they just want to like go in, you know, work an eight hour day, come home, relax, sit down, drink their beer and watch the game, you know, and that's awesome. So if you're one of those people, this is going to give you a lot more control over your life. This is going to give you less time in the studio, you know, working and stressing out with whatever clients and band you're working with or artists and more time to do what you want to do. And if this is what you want to do, then you can study more, you can learn more, you can read more, you can practice more, you can go out and spend more time getting new clients into your studio and growing your business. You can do a lot of things with all this extra time. So I'm going to show you guys how to do all that. Keep a lookout for it. It's going to be opening up here. And I think like the next, uh, well, it depends on what day this episode comes out, but towards the end of the month, like the last week. So, uh, save up your pennies. You're going to need them guys. This is going to be a full standalone comprehensive course. It's available for everybody. This is not something that just enhanced people get or nail the mix subscribers. Anybody can get this, but please take the time to check this out because even if you follow let's just say 15% of the advice in this course and do nothing, even though there's a huge part of this course that is extremely actionable. And we have all these challenges and all this awesome stuff that's going to be implemented. That's going to make you get better. But let's just say you ignore all that crap and you just watch the damn videos and throw everything else out. And don't pay attention to anything else. It's going to make you much better. And the amount of money that you will return on your investment, if you go in and even apply a couple of the small tweaks that are made in this course, it's going to pay massive dividends in your lifestyle, your career, your finances, your free time, and how you feel, and your, even at the bottom level, just like your confidence about how you can get in and you can just crush a mix and not be afraid. So you guys keep on the lookout for that. So I've talked about that enough. Sorry, I get amped up and super excited. I'm really passionate about this and I can't wait to share it with you guys. Oh wait, I'm sorry. I totally forgot one more important thing. I need to satisfy the FTC requirements. So I just want to say that the results I'm telling you are not typical, nor are they guaranteed. I don't know you. I don't know your work ethic, where you're starting from, how talented you are, or if you're even going to try. The results I described are my own. And I know that with a hardcore application of the principles I teach, results like mine are possible. Now I'm going to get to answering your questions. All right, our first question is from Maxime. Dear Joel, your production and hustle are always no small time, but your arms are still pretty small time. When are you going to go pump some weights with your new Belgian buddy, Maxime? Regards from Belgium. <laughs> well, Maxime, I really only have one question for you. Do you even lift? Our next question comes from Ben. Hey Joel, I'm still in my infancy as far as learning to mix and I obsess over it every single day. My problem is that my day job is a traveling gig where I'm in hotels every week and rarely have time to be home at a decent setup. I use my MacBook Pro and a pair of headphones on the road, but I fear that I'm going to be my pro I'm not going to be progressing properly because of this. Any advice for a road rig that's decent and portable or is this one of those things that I just need to find a way to get back home? Ben. Well, Ben, that's a really, really good question. Obviously, because if you're traveling a lot and you know it's paying the bills right now, it's really important to keep your job probably. So I would say that 
mixing on headphones while not the optimal ideal situation, I'm guessing you're in a lot of uh, hotel rooms. So what you could do, and I think you should do, is you should go out and try to find a small pair of portable speakers that are not necessarily loud because you don't need to rock music super loud. But I mean, I've been in hotel rooms with Joey, for example, when we were in Nashville and we were rocking uh, dubstep super loud and working on a plug-in launch and you know, 1130 at night, no one seemed to care. So you can get a little bit of volume going, you know, as long as you don't have a subwoofer, but try to find a nice portable pair of monitors that you can take with you. And I know there's some out there. There's a particular brand type that comes to mind and I can't remember the name, but I'm sure there's something out there like some mini monitors or something, but just get something you can throw in a suitcase that you're not going to damage that can take a little bit of heat. And I feel like that combined with some headphones and just referencing back and forth is going to be the best you're able to do in that situation. So what's most important is not necessarily what you're listening on, but as long as you're doing it every day and you're training it because you're going to get better, you're going to learn to hear better and different, you're going to acquire skills. And, you know, if you have a nice portable rig um, and maybe even a second pair of headphones that you can listen to, like I said, like a small set of speakers, um, or even a boombox that you could bring out, you know, you can hear your mix on a couple of different systems. So when you actually go home and you work on the big boy toys, you're going to be getting better and you're going to be getting better because you're out there every day doing it. So I think for you right now, the solution is definitely to find a pair of speakers that are going to allow you to do what you need to do without pumping out volumes that are so insane that are absolutely going to murder, you know, all the rooms next to you. Um, as for low end, which is going to be the hardest thing to reference, you know, again, you're probably better on headphones. But if you're EQing guitars and vocals and things like that, or you know, any type of mid range instrument, in my opinion, you're going to get much better uh, and more realistic clarity on even a boombox or you know anything where you can actually hear something coming out of some speakers. So I would do that, Ben. Good luck. Hopefully it works out, man. All right, next question. Hey, Joel, could you talk about the drums on Righteous Vendetta's The Fire Inside and Defiance albums? Were they real or programmed? They sound really good. John. All right, John, this is going to be interesting because um, this is a good proof that you can record something in like a 10 by 11 room with carpet and have crappy dimensions and hardly any trapping and still get a sound if you know how to place your mics and optimize your room for the best possible performance and acoustics you can get out of it. So that that particular record, I used my own samples that I've taken from a lot of different sessions. For example, like the toms on that record were sampled directly off the kit in that room. And we employed a couple of different techniques and tactics to get them to sound that way. Um, the first thing is we kind of, me and Joe kind of came up with this cool thing, which we've implemented many times since in Drumforge. But, you know, on the toms, I like to put a 421 on the direct. And given that the room is small, you know, you're losing some of the depth in the space because the 421 has a lot of click and a lot of bottom and a lot of punch to it. So we came in with a Stellar Audio CM5 or um, maybe it was a CM6, uh, CM, CM5. And that's kind of like... Uh, a nice high end. I think it's kind of like a C12 or something like that, where the CM6 is more like a U47, but it's basically like a nice recreation of one of those really high end vintage mics. And it's a really great sounding microphone under $1,000. It's really, really nice sounding. And we take that microphone and we placed it three feet above the tom. So 
we would then move the transient of it when we were taking the samples to be perfectly phase accurate and aligned with the uh, 421 tom mic. So we did something that you couldn't do in an actual recording because it would mess up all your cymbals and all your bleed. So we did the samples and we took that microphone, which was three feet up, and knocked it in like it was a direct mic. And then we were able to blend it. And that was able to add a ton of depth and air to those toms and not just give you that 421 punch and click. So that was kind of where we pioneered that process, which we've been using on Drumforge, which for us is like one of our secret weapons and ways that we get really cool and interesting tom sounds because it just makes it sound more like a drum and less like a 421 clicking, snapping, thunderous thing. So we did that, but we also set up some room mics like two feet back from the kit, you know, room mics in a room that the size that, you know, the kit barely even fits in, but, you know, as far back as we could. And we took those and cr- crushed those through some distressors and got them to sound pretty big. And we were able to take that bottom and and EQ them intelligently and build those toms up and get a pretty damn thunderous drum sound in there that we were able to, you know, use the the positive attributes of the room and place the mics like in certain parts of corners where there's bass buildup and things like that to get all of that low end clarity and punch and get something that sounded pretty thunderous. So like when Defiance kicks in, it has those really big toms and, um, you know, we did that in like a little Mickey Mouse, small sandbox, small time pizza shuttle level room, you know, like it wasn't a nice, awesome killer drum room. So I think the kick drum and the snare drum were blends of samples that we took off uh, his kit with maybe some other stuff that I'd done. But then the cymbals are straight um, off the room in a space pair. Maybe I think we used... Um, I want to say some reverb on them to simulate some space, probably something like Lexicon or one of the impulse response, like IR1 from Waves is pretty good and tried to get, you know, more of like a, a bigger room and, and basically lie to people sonically. And when they hear it, it sounds like it's cut and done in a bigger room than it actually was. So the drums were done in a really small little box and they don't sound like it too much. I mean, they're tight, but at the same time, you know, they've got some character. So it's a really interesting sound and it's kind of a unique one. So yeah, very interesting. I haven't even thought about that album in in years. So I'm glad somebody thinks it sounds cool. (laughs) So, all right, we'll move on to the next question. Hey, Joel. First off, love what you guys are doing. My question is, what techniques do you like to use to differentiate parts in a song? I've heard about changing the tempo a few beats per minute and instruments, having different volumes, but are there other production techniques or songwriting tips that you may have that may not seem so obvious, but can really drive a song? Thanks, Tom. Well, Tom, this is a great question, and there's a ton to talk about, and I'm a pop rock kind of dude, so I'm always going to come from the premise and the prism and the direction and mindset of I'm here to sell records and I'm here. Well, does anybody sell records anymore? Fine. I'm here to get people to click on streams or click on that YouTube video and uh, get that radio thing. So I'm always going to be coming from that sort of view. So first and foremost, in my opinion, in my experience, a great song is like a story, right? So when you're coming in with a song and, you know, I will say this is a disclaimer, like metal songwriting, it's a little bit different because it's not quite as dynamic. It's very flat. You know, you always have heavy guitars and drums and bass and screaming and all that crap and, you know, not 
every genre of metal is super dynamic and has a lot of song movement and things like that. So again, I'm, let's talk about more like rock and pop and songs and stuff you'd hear on the radio and things like that. So it's important to say that a song, to me, a great song is like a story, right? So if you come in and you cut and talk, blah, 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 blah. And the whole song is just monotone. For example, if I did the podcast in a monotone turn, uh, tone of voice and I did not change my pitch or tell an interesting story you would tune out because it would be very boring to listen to. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you got to have a little bit of theatrics when you talk or when you tell a song, uh, you know, uh, play a song for somebody or anything like that. So you have to really think about that as a producer or a songwriter, right? So when you're going in, if it starts out huge and then stays huge, you can't get any huger. You can't get any bigger. So just like a good movie, you know, maybe it starts off with a great action scene or maybe it starts out really slow and does character development. But at some point in the movie, there's going to be a climax that's going to be super exciting. And maybe the whole movie leads up to a certain climax or maybe there are several climaxes in the song or the movie where, you know, certain things happen and then it calms down. I'll give you an example. If you're a Game of Thrones fans, you know, usually like the first episode of a new season is really exciting. And so is the second one. Then, you know, like the second, third, fourth kind of calm down a little bit. Then mid-season, they give you something really juicy and exciting to get everybody all worked up. And then they build and build and build. And then those final two episodes are super climactic and super exciting. So, you know, writing a song is like that. You got to really think about that. So what techniques and what things can you do? do to make your songs better. And again, you know, some people like to speed up their choruses a little bit or this or that. I generally like to keep my tempos about the same, but I try to build with production and think about the octave spectrum, right? So if I'm coming into a chorus, I want to add in a new element. And every time I hear that chorus, I want to add in yet another new element or I want to change one of the existing elements slightly. It's kind of like doing what you would expect, but there's the twist. You know what I mean? Like doing things like that. You know what I mean? And I, I think that's kind of a cool way to look at it. So, you know, you hit your first chorus and great, you've heard it before. Now you're in your second verse. Okay, well, what can you add in your second verse that's going to make it more interesting aside from new lyrics and maybe some slightly different melodies and harmonies or whatever, a little bit more interesting than the first verse. You know, they've already heard the first verse. So we got to give them the second verse and the second verse needs to be just a little bit more interesting and a little bit more dynamic and lead up a little bit more. So, you know, you can put stops in it or drops out, dropouts or different instruments and different production, or you can change up a riff or you can, um, you know, maybe change the vocal flow or the vocal melody or throw in a little bit of a, you know, play around with the hook or something like that. You know what I mean? So then that chorus comes, well, maybe we're going to transition this different. Maybe we'll do a double tail or something. So it's more climatic when it hits, or maybe we'll stop and drop out this time instead of just going into it with a big drum fill, we'll just cut it out for two beats. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, so there's lots of different little production type tips that you can do. There's tons of different, uh, you know, ways you can approach it, but, you know, come up with something to kind of make that second chorus like more exciting and pop more. So we've already heard the first chorus. Now, how can we make the second chorus a little bit bigger and a little bit more interesting, or at least at the same intensity level? And then, all right, so now let's say we've got a bridge in the song. The bridge is your chance to come in and do something fresh, something interesting, you know, change the chord progression a little bit, change the feel and the vibe of the song to take that story and to go somewhere. Is it going to slow down and get epic and somber? Or is it going to get more exciting and climactic? 
tactic and build towards that last chorus? Is it going to, you know, go up and bring you up and then bring you down into a really slow dropout part and then come in massive? Or is it going to just kind of keep the same level of intensity and then all of a sudden the chorus hits, but before, you know, maybe we drop out on the downbeat of the chorus and do some drum hits or some drum stops or something and then, you know, play around with that. Then maybe that second chorus as it's building, we're adding ad-libs and overdubs and guitar parts and synths and strings or whatever. And then suddenly we decide to modulate the song up a third or a fourth and pivot off the chord progression and use the same thing higher. For example, Bon Jovi living on a prayer, you know, he does that in the, the second chorus or the last chorus of the song, they modulate and they go up and um, it's the same chorus, just higher and more exciting. And the second time they go through. So there's a lot of different songwriting techniques that you can use. Um, if you approach this little techniques aside, if you approach this with the mindset that you are telling a story, you are not writing a song, you are telling a story to the listener and trying to convey a certain emotion and that you have to keep their attention interested and play with it and bring it down and you have to tease them. And, you know, it's kind of like if I come in and say, hey guys, I got this really interesting story. So the other day I was at the post office and the craziest thing happened to me. So I'm standing in line and this dude comes up and he taps on my shoulder and I turn around and and I'm like, now, if I just stop the story right there, like, you know, you, you want to know what's going to happen. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of unfair. So it's the same thing when you're doing a song. Like even I, having just told that story, I feel like unfinished because I just let myself hang, even though I had no idea what I was <laughs> talking about. You know, it's the same kind of principle when you're writing a song. It's like you got to take the listener on an emotional journey and then kind of like, tease it and then take it away and then give them the resolve that they need, but then maybe throw in the twist or something like that. So just approach everything like you are telling a story. Because if you are telling a story, Tom, you can't go wrong. And just think, how can I make this story more interesting? They've heard this part before. How can I make it a little bit different? Where's the twist? Where's something that's going to be like, oh, that was cool. Oh, wow. That's really awesome. Oh, wow. I love that little variation on the melody they threw in or, oh, geez, that chorus ad lib is so awesome. So um, those are a lot of the techniques that I feel like great songwriters know how to do. They know how to just play with you just a little bit, add a little bit of that ear candy, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, to just take the song and just evolve it and keep moving and convey whatever emotion they are trying to convey with that song most effectively. All right, our next question here is from Franklin. He's asking, I'm well on my way to building my own studio and have even started to offer some lyric video services as well as I'm having to find a balance between promoting and marketing for local clients as well as my online presence as I only realistically have the funds to do one of those. What would your advice be? Focus on the online promotion and let the local acts do the promotion for me, aka word of mouth, and make a website for mixing and mastering and a separate page for my work as an artist. I've been putting in all the hours I can work, but there are times I feel like I'm losing my vision, if that makes any sense at all. So thanks for your time and have a nice day. All right, Franklin, it sounds to me like you've got a lot of stuff on your plate, and this is a complicated situation to be in because... You know, if you're overwhelmed with a lot of different things, there's something called opportunity cost. And I've talked about this many times on the podcast. And opportunity cost, if you're not familiar with it, and you should be because I've recommended uh, books to read many times, but go read Basic Economics by Sowell. It's a fantastic book. Um, 
you know, go study some economics, but opportunity cost is basically the cost of the alternative usages of your time. So every single minute you spend, you know, for example, produce, uh, pursuing like your own artist career versus pursuing doing lyric videos and video type stuff versus audio stuff, you know, comes at the expense of everything else you could be doing. Every minute you're sitting here, you know, drinking a glass of wine at your kitchen table, you could be marketing or hustling or stuff like that. So, um, because it sounds to me like you've got a lot of different irons in the fire and a lot of different things going on, it's important to, I believe, to treat it like fishing. So throw out a couple of lines in the water and see what's hitting. And if something starts hitting and is doing really well, then focus on that a little bit harder, right? So so do that. Um, it's hard for me to tell you because I don't know your situation exactly what you should do in terms of should I pursue this? Should I spend more time and money on this? Um, I will say this, the best advertising you can ever do is word for, word of mouth, okay? You can go out, you can spend lots of money marketing and promoting, but at the end of the day, when somebody's friend tells them that something's sick and they have rapport with that person and they trust that person and they know that that person is gonna give them something good, they are going to listen to that person 100 million times more. Well, I don't know what the exact number, but you, you do get what I'm saying. A lot more than if you were to just get see some ad or some advertisement or something like that. So that's important to understand. So it's very important to do a great job with your clients because they will be your best mouthpiece and your best spokesperson for you and your business. So I would say try to balance it. You know what I mean? It's like, don't guess, test. You know, put some money over here, test it. Put some money over there, test it. Put some money over there, test it. And if B is working really well, double down on that. So you know, without you really going into more detail, it's hard for me to give you great advice and really in-depth advice on this stuff. But like I said, at the heart of the issue is the fact that because you have a lot of things going on, you have to kind of like test each thing and see what's working the best and find a way to balance your resources. Now, going back to what I was talking about speed mixing earlier and why it's going to be so cool, you know, that course is not so, it, I mean, it's about mixing and stuff like that, but um, the skills you're going to learn in that course are going to apply to your life. And this is a direct problem and thing that you're struggling with right now is you only have so many hours in the day and, you know, you, you're not sure what to focus on and, you, you know, you have to allocate your different time and things like that. So how can you be more efficient and more effective? And this is a very important point to understand because being very efficient at something that's not effective is a total waste of time. For example, you could be the most efficient email organizer organizer on the planet, but at the end of the day, it does not matter how good you are at organizing your email. If it's not helping your career directly and bringing money, then what's the damn point? Now, that being said, if you're the most efficient mixer in the world and you have a ton of mixing clients, you know, that is extremely effective. That, my friend, is how you kill it and destroy and crush the game. So, it's very important for you to find inefficiencies in your process and things that you are not being as effective as you could be. For example, if you're going to do marketing and run an ad or something like that to promote your services, you know, you test several of them at a very low price point and then, you know, maybe one of them outperforms everyone and the one that's outperforming, you try to make a couple more like that and then test that. And then after like two or three rounds of ads and not having spent a lot of money, you will find an ad that performs well. And then once you find that ad, that is the one you throw a lot of money into. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like the same thing, you know? If you've got a couple of bands that are going out and getting you a lot of business and that are generating mouse, uh, good mouthpieces, identify the core characteristics of those artists 
and try to replicate that amongst your clients. So look at different markets. So let's just say there's a, a city that's a big city. that's a two-hour drive, and you maybe pull in like a one or two bands from there. You know, find the key players in that city that are going to have the same kind of performance like the bands in your market. Uh, that if you work with them and can convince them to come in, what's going to happen is then they're going to go out and they're going to convince ten other bands in your city to come and work with you. So that's just a lot of like, you know, philosophical stuff that is, is general advice. Because like I said, I'd really have to go in detail with you and see exactly where you're struggling, exactly what you're doing and ask you some questions to dig deeper. But hopefully that helps you somewhat to some degree. All right. Our next question comes from Nick. Dear Dark Lord of No Small Time. I've been at an hourly rate here for a while, but I've also been trying to get, uh, trying out giving clients a uh, per song flat amount for mixes to try and give them a better idea of what it's going to cost. For tracking, I'm still doing hourly. I know the end goal is to switch over to a day rate. When you moved away, uh, when you moved to a day rate, how did you go? How did you approach telling clients exactly what a full day, uh, sorry, what a full day would give them as far as how much they could expect to be done? For example, if someone booked you to mix their whole album at your day rate, would you just let them? Um, would you just let? Would you just tell them how many days you uh, you estimate it? would take to finish the song or album for mixing or is it still the best to give them the price per song is it easier to charge a day rate just for tracking um and how do you know when it's a good time to think about subcontracting someone else to do editing and tuning vocals for you thanks nick all right nick sorry for my absolute butchering of the the reading of your question (laughs) Uh, reading was never my strong class i need to i need to improve at that so all right there's a couple different things to talk about here when it comes to pricing First and foremost, um, I if you're working with a lot of rappers and people like that that want to come into your studio and work like two to three hours a day, obviously you can't do a day rate. Now, I think if you're working with a band, a reasonable amount of time to do a song, and this is based off many, many years of experience doing this, is one to two days for a local band. And if you're doing something signed, then I feel like it's two to three or four days, depending on the budget the label is going to give you, if not five. So it really just depends on how much money you're getting and how, you know, what level the client's at. But let's just assume and say we're working on local regional bands that don't have a ton of money, but they need, you know, they need that tender love and care that you're going to give them as a producer and et cetera. So first and foremost, I feel like I would say to a band, hey, I require a minimum of one day, and by day, I mean an eight-hour day. Like, we start at eight in the morning, and I am done at five o'clock, and in that period of time, I take a one-hour lunch, which usually ended up being more like a half an hour. Um, So anything less than that is a credit, a benefit to your time and me being generous, and you tell them that, and they're like, okay, dude, that's cool. You know, um, we get it. So if you do that, what's going to happen is... You tell the bands, hey, we get one day per song minimum, but if you really want to be awesome, like let's do two. So the bands know how long it's going to take to succeed, and as long as you can fulfill it on your end, I'm meaning, and again, I, I've done so many bands in my life where I've they've come in on Monday, done five songs, and left by Friday at 5 p.m., and I'll kid you not, it's amazing how no matter how crappy the band is or whatever, like you just find a way to make it work. Sometimes you got to cut corners here or move things around or prioritize things here or play the instruments here. But at the end of the day, you get 
get the band out by a certain amount of time. Because if you charge per song, the band will walk all over you. And I always was just like, give me five days to do five songs and I will give you all the way through Mastered if you guys come in prepared. And then maybe book one or two extra days at the end of that just so we have more time if we really get inspired or come up with some cool ideas or something like that. So I think it's a great idea to give somebody a day rate. So, I mean, I just started establishing the rules. I didn't have to tell my clients. I said, hey, listen, Nick, I know your band is... uh, blah, blah, blah. And you want to do three songs, but I'm going to recommend we go and we do like three 10 hour days and it's going to cost this amount of money. And I want to do one song a day and focus because we're going to do our best and just sell it to them, explain to them why it's important for them. And I mean, I would just do it like this. Like if I'm going to pitch it to band, be like, listen, dude, do you guys want to be small time and put a shitty EP out that no one cares about? That's going to bomb. And you're going to waste six months of your life playing at some stupid bar, wondering why the hell your band hasn't made it yet. And you're going to call me and we're going to do this again. Or do you want to come in and do you want to do it right? And do you want to get freaking serious? Do you want me to show you how to be successful and do something that's really awesome? Again, you got to know who you're talking to and what they want to do before you can come into them and lay into them like that. But you can aggressively sell the band and come in and just be like, listen, guys, if you want to get serious two days, a song. Don't waste my fucking time. I got stuff to do. I'm not going to sit here and do a half-assed job because you guys want to be cheap. Go work for one more month, then come back to my studio because you got five dudes in the band. So if you cut it out per day, per dude, you know, divide everything by five, like it's really not that expensive. Like you're telling me you can't come up with another hundred or 150 bucks per person and, you know, and save that over the next month. Like don't go to the bar 16 times a month. You know what I mean? And buy and spend $80 a night, you know, like just save a little bit of money, wait an extra month to record and we can do this for real. We can put out something that is really going to be awesome. That's going to be your best work ever that people are going to listen to and they're going to get excited about your band because we spent some actual time on it. We didn't sit there and half-ass it and do a crappy job and screw around and just ramrod it in because you guys wanted to be cheap. We put out something that is the best that you've ever put out and you guys are going to be damn proud of and you guys are going to be stoked on and it's going to be great. So, you can sell the band like that. Like you get them all jacked. I mean, that's really hard to disagree with other than a bunch of bands who just don't give a shit, which is not most people, but you know, you gotta, you gotta like play to their egos a little bit and let them understand like you're doing this for them. I mean, you know, you obviously want a little bit more money, but at the same time you want to do the best damn job you've ever done with the band and you don't want to be stressed out because the drummer sucks. You know, you want the drummer to come in and suck and be like, that's fine. I got an extra two or three days to play with, so I don't care. I'll just get through it and then we'll move on and I'll have extra time to catch up and you know, allocated to writing a better song with the band or working up better hooks or adding more vocal production or, you know, stuff that's really going to make a better song and really make a better album. So it's very important to do that. And I feel like structuring it by day rate and just setting up the rules. So the next time somebody comes in, you say, okay, how many songs you want to do? Boom. Here's how we're going to do it. This is what I think. And this is why. So I would just change immediately and stop screwing around with hourly because hourly is a waste of freaking time. Now, when it comes to mixing, I mean, if I was working at day rate, I would just mix it for whatever. But if I was hired to just mix, I would charge per song. And again, this is what I'm going to teach you guys with the speed mixing course is, you know, it doesn't matter. Okay, I'll give you the artist in the park thing, right? So you go, you get one of those caricature designers in the park. Then they sit down and they draw like a really funny, cool picture of you. And you're like, oh, that's really awesome. And then they're like, all right, give me a hundred bucks. And you're like, you spent five minutes doing that. And they're like, yeah, five minutes in 25 years. So it's kind of like the same thing. It does not matter how fast you mix a song. All that matters is when that client hits play, does it blow them back in their chair? And do they go, holy crap, this sounds sick. If it does that and they, you do that, it doesn't matter how long you spent doing it. So if you can take 
your client and get them in a position where you can surprise them with your mix and blow them back. Uh, you don't have to spend a lot of time mixing and you can sit back and you know, optimize everything with this system. I'm going to teach you guys how to do um, all the way from client interaction to preparation and optimizing that and every single little part of your your stuff to, uh, you know, philosoph- philosophical things to ex- optimizing your execution and your, you know, just like the whole nine yards. It's fully encompassed. So being able to take that sort of information and that sort of knowledge, you can get your mixing time down where you're rocking out a song in like 40 minutes and doing a kick-ass job and absolutely working at your peak, the best that you've ever put out. And when you can get to that level, you can refine your stuff. I mean, dude, you can just be deadly. So you can charge whatever you want per song. And you know, if you're getting even like, even on the low end, let's say you're getting $250 a mix, but you can mix four to 10 songs in a day Dude, you're going to be killing it. Like you do that, you know, every day for a couple of months, that turns into a serious freaking paycheck. You know what I mean? So, and then as you get more expensive and go up and you're getting 500, 750, a thousand bucks a song. Now imagine what you can do if you can mix, you know, 10 songs in two days at a thousand bucks a track. It's like, cool. You just made 10 grand in two days. Think about that for a second. Like it's, it's totally easy to do. And, um, you know, if you've developed the system and the infrastructure to do that, you're going to be super savage and you're just going to kill it. So, Nick, man, you got to you got to really adjust your pricing here. I feel like it's really important now in terms of getting somebody to outsource to subcontract like edit and tuning. The answer is um, once you switch your price guidelines to how I just recommended and you've got that flow going, um, the question is then how much demand do I have? So if you have enough demand. And you can say, look, I can take two or three more projects this month, or I could mix 10 more songs this month if I had somebody helping me. Then you could sub out all those things. You can look at the cost of it. It's a simple equation. You just say, okay, how much how much time am I wasting? Meaning how much, what, what, what's the opportunity cost of the time? Like if I hired an assistant, here's what the assistant costs. Here's the amount of more money that I can make minus the cost of assistant. Boom. There's a difference. So, you know, having an assistant makes me an extra couple thousand bucks a month while dude, get an assistant and even a couple hundred bucks a month, you know, like, so you got to weigh those decisions. You've got to think about that stuff. It's super important. And, you know, Again, I, I have a, a whole section on this in speed mixing course coming up and some cost calculator tools and some spreadsheets and stuff where you can literally sit down and plug in your data and be like, okay, it makes sense to get an assistant. Eh, no, it doesn't. So long story short, adjust your pricing, look at the math, look at the demand and say, hey, you know, I'm getting pretty busy and I kind of like to take these three projects, but I don't have time. So let me bring in somebody to assist me so they can speed up my workflow by, you know, two days a project. And now I have an extra six days a month. Now I can take one of those projects and make, you know, an extra, let's just say three or $4,000. And then boom, you know, I had to pay the assistant like a total of 500 for the month. And then, all right, you know, we've made an extra 25 to 3,500 bucks. Like it's a win-win. Everybody, you know, wins and you're happy and it's great. So, you know, I would set it up like that if I were you. And that's kind of what I did and where I started going down this whole rabbit hole towards like super speed mixing and all that stuff. So, those are some of the strategies at the core in the very beginning that kind of like led me to how I operate my business and run it today. So hopefully that helps you, my man. All right. We've got one last question I'm going to do here today from Yvonne. And Yvonne is asking, dear Dark Lord of no small time, how should I go about finding a commercial space to build a studio on? Thank you very much. Okay, Yvonne. Um, 
This is an interesting question. I'm going to throw in a little bit of a different answer in here that's going to make this more comprehensive and in-depth. So first thing is to rent or to buy. So here's the question. If you're going to... um, Well, before that, I'll start with this. I think it's important now to keep your overhead down low. And if you wanted like a really great drum room or something, you can source it. Only if you have a ton of extra money to play with and you just want it because it's cool when I build a drum room and you have the demand. Because then, you know, you can sub out your drum room and rent it and it's it's really convenient. But if you see yourself doing a lot of mixing and producing and songwriting and stuff like that, like you don't need to own a drum room. But if you're going to be a tracking studio and have a lot of producers come in and fly in and work out of it and local guys are going to come in and record out of it and, you know, rent it from you, then yeah, you know, maybe it makes sense to build. So if you're not going to be in a position or a place or a certain location for too long, or you don't know it, it, with a degree of certainty what you're going to be doing in several years from now, then I think, in my opinion, it's worth it to rent. For example, I'm renting my office because I have no idea if I'm going to be there in two or three years from now. But, you know, um, I'm happy. I've got a cool setup. I like it. And everything in there is portable, all my traps, and I can just pick it up and walk out and go. Or, you know, I can I can dig in and, and stay for a while. But either way, it's at a price that's affordable. And I'm happy. And I like the location and the proximity to my house. And I'm happy that I don't own it because I don't have to clean the damn toilet and screw around with, you know, all the bullshit, you know, like, oh, the siding fell off, the windstorm, now you got to replace it, or, oh, no, we don't have Wi-Fi today, call up the cable company, like, I don't have to deal with any of that landlord shit, you know, so I like having that freedom. So that's the upside to renting. If you want to buy a place, you know, and build, then, you know, you better prepared to, to go long and you're going to need a lot of money to do it. So in terms of answering your question, how do you go about finding a place? Well, you first answer the question, am I going to rent or am I going to buy? If you're going to rent, it's as simple as looking at commercial spaces, figuring out how much space you need to do what you need to do and finding a price. So for example, do I need a live room to cut drums or do I just need a vocal booth? Do I just need a single room or maybe a small lounge and a bathroom? You know, a bathroom definitely is a, is a must. Do I have, you need a kitchen area. You know, you have to figure out these sorts of things and weigh how much it's going to cost. Okay, so I'm going to get a thousand square feet and I'm going to divide it up like this and I'm going to have, you know, a tracking booth and a, and a small drum booth. And then how much is it going to cost to build out? What are the neighbors like? How loud are they going to be? You know, do, am I going to have to deal with, uh, you know, if I play drums at two in the afternoon, is the printing press next door, are the, the machines going to end up in my drum mics? Or is the florist next door going to call the police and get pissed because I'm constantly jamming really loud guitars? So you got to come find a place, usually like out like in an industrial park or something like that is a great place to um, find a spot and build out a little studio because you can make a lot of noise and there's it's a little bit off you know the the heavy major freeways and things like that so you don't have massive trucks coming through and planes flying over and you know well maybe i guess planes aren't dependent on that but you know what i mean like find a place that's a little bit quieter is what i'm saying um some people like to build in houses and things like that like that can be cool too um except i'm very against working out of the same place that you live because it will consume your damn life so there's a lot of different places that you can do and a lot of things that you need to take into consideration you know if you want to buy obviously you have to figure out if you're going to buy something existing and modify it or you're going to find property and then you're going to build from scratch so you're going to build a steel building or a concrete building how much is electric going to cost how long is the timetable going to be how much money am i going to have to pay in property taxes and all that fun stuff so I just want to say those are all questions that I cannot answer for you that you need to answer for yourself. So, Yvonne, hopefully that helps and hopefully you make the right decision. 
All right, with that, guys, I'm going to wrap it up here tonight at Unstoppable Recording Machine. Thank you so much for listening and hanging out. It's always a pleasure. Love doing this. If you got questions, shoot me an email. It's joel at urm.academy. And as always, stay tuned. We have this really amazing course coming up here in about a week, week and a half on speed mixing. It's going to really change a lot of your workflows and your lives. I'm so excited to share this with you guys. It's, I can't talk about it enough. (laughs) There'll be plenty more opportunities to do that. So I just want to say, keep an eye out. It might be worth checking out for you. In the meantime, if you want to go check out our brand new drum sampler that is super savage and awesome, head over to drumforge.com. So thank you again, everybody for listening and hanging out and I will see you next time. But the most important thing now here on this podcast is podcast theme. Go! The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Two Notes Audio Engineering. Two Notes is a leader in the market for Loadbox, Cabinet, and Mic Simulators. Gone are the days of having ISO rooms or having to record an amp at ear-bleeding volumes to capture that magic tone. The Torpedo Live, Reload, and Studio allow you to crank your amp up as loud as you want, but record silently. Check out www.2-notes.com for more info. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit nailthemix.com slash podcast and subscribe today.